Hello, I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast. And I think that uh, we're about ready to go talk about wait, our... Wait, no pun? Jan, not everything can last forever. I like the puns. <laughs> Today we're talking about episode eight of the season finale. Uh, we're giving this episode the title, If I Ruled the World. Um, this episode was written by Noah Hawley and directed by Michael Uppendahl. Noah Hawley, of course, is the series creator. The last time we saw him as an episode writer was in episode two, Road to Nowhere, and he directed and wrote the first episode, Happy Jack. Michael Uppendahl uh, also directed episode two, Road to Nowhere, as well as episode three, Shall We Begin? And that was the last time we saw him. Uh, would you like to get us going on the beat by beat for this episode? All right. So we begin with flashes of purple and green squares with music. We zoom out to see that it is a hospital vitals monitor and the interrogator from the very first episode, who we find out is named Clark, so I'll refer to him as Clark from now on, is on the bed, remembering being burned at the pool. A young boy and a man are pacing the hospital room and are ecstatic when Clark wakes. They are his husband and son. We see shots of him recovering, removing bandages, looking at himself, returning home to domestic life. Weeks later, Clark refuses to go on desk duty. At a locker, he suits up in red, finding a cane with a wolf head. We then return to the moment at the end of the last episode. But as he gives the order to kill the others, David says no and pulls all the commandos against a tree. Autonomy brings out a gun, but David says to put it away. We see through Clark's eye that Division 3 is watching. In the woods, Sid confronts David, telling him to save himself. But as he walks away, Sid is back in the white room, and there's a figure under the sheets. She hears the sound of children and a dog around her in the woods, but they are not there. So, so this opening. This opening. So we start by we start with Clark, and we start by humanizing him and we spend quite a bit of time like, yeah it's a good long sequence this beginning i did i don't didn't write down the minutes but it's you know five seven minutes which in an episode is a lot of real estate of the episode yes spent on clark and spent very like the we're not rushing through this section at all we're not giving it all. a lot of time um and i mean one thing even before we get into that, just to explicitly say, I'm sure everyone noticed the green and purple squares on the vitals monitor are the end credits for this series. So yeah. all along we have been seeing mm-hmm. Clark's vitals monitor as we ended every episode. Yes, it's really cool. It's really um, interesting. So anyway, having got that out of the way, how did this opening work for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely want to talk about that. It's, it's, I, had, I struggled with it. The, our first watching, I really struggled with it because I was like, get back to the action. And even in subsequent watchings, why are they humanizing Clark? Why are we in his so deeply sudden and very suddenly in his point of view? He is a memorable character. You instantly remember who he was, even yeah. eight episodes later. Yeah. So there is that. Um... And Hamish Linklater has a lot of charisma. Like he's a yes, he's an actor who it is nice to watch on the screen. 
And frankly, we've heard his voice throughout the show too. Like that David has not gone away. Yeah. That's been a thing. So his presence the has been there throughout the whole season yeah. in the background. So it makes sense that he would return. But returning in this way is, it's interesting. I think there's a part of it where he has this husband and son. Mm-hmm. And the son is black and, and it, both him and his husband are white. And so obviously the son is adopted. Mm-hmm. And David is adopted. Mm-hmm. It creates this connection between Clark and David's adopted parents. And by extension, a connection between Clark and David. Yeah. And this is a thing that we'll get to when we come to it. But a couple of times in this episode, both David and later Sid talk about how Clark likes David. Yeah. And that maybe this is part of why. I mean... And I mean, it's also, we're going to need Division 3 and Summerland to come together to defeat the Shadow King. We're going to need... So we're bringing Division 3, or at least we're bringing Clark into the fold, maybe. I mean, it's really interesting. The end of the last episode, when he suddenly appears, he's, you know, the threat that appears out of nowhere at the end of the last episode, uh, and he's disfigured and frightening, and he has been a mysterious shadowy figure connected with a mysterious shadowy organization. And so there's really... There's something very deliberate about this slow humanizing of him. And it's one of the things I think that this episode is about is this pull between organizations and individuals, Mm. between the corporate and the personal. Yes. And so as a representative of the Division 3, he is at war with David and he's going to destroy him. But as a human being, he has these connections with David and some affinity for him. And we start the episode by seeing him as a human being. So then we mm-hmm. come back to that moment where he's like, you can kill the others. And suddenly we see him so much differently than we did when he delivered that same line at the end of the last yeah, episode. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very different. Um, some interesting parts in this opening sequence. Uh, his face is half burned, which is, reminds me of Two-Face. And the bit with the mirror where he finally sees himself for the first time, he's calling, he says, damn it, give me the mirror. And that's very like Joker from the 89 Batman. Yeah, it's Jack Nicholson's Joker. Yeah, Jack Nicholson's Joker. I was really... (laughs) And like, well, it's interesting, like Two-Face and Joker, both very DC characters to throw into this Marvel (laughs) X-Men universe. And the thing with, I mean... The thing with half of his face, it feels like the two-face connection is uh, hard to avoid, but not necessarily a deliberate yes. reference they're going for. Yeah, I don't think they're going for that reference necessarily. But the mirror scene. Yeah. Like, that is a That's very allusion Joker. to Jack Nicholson's Joker. I yeah. was really watching it thinking, like, is he going to look at it, laugh, and smash it? <laughs> like, yeah. I was pleased, but... A uh, little bit surprised that he didn't smash it, like the way he reacts when he sees it. But there's no way that that scene isn't uh, calling out to that same scene from Batman. Like, yeah, it's two exactly the same thing happening. Yeah, absolutely. And that means, I mean, 
at the very same time as we're having Clark be humanized, we're having him be a villain. Yeah, like he looks monstrous. He looks monstrous, way. and he behaves, and he's connecting to villain like in not just in his first appearance in Happy Jack, he was villainous in a he's the representative of a faceless organization, mm-hmm. and now he's like being connected to supervillains. Yes. At the same time as he's being humanized. And that is also yeah. quite a choice to make. I was going to say, just while we're talking about Clark and his face, um, <laughs> that there's a real, uh, in the way that this show often does, literalization of the metaphor, right? He has been literally scarred by his interactions with David. Yes. Uh, so he's, I mean, and in the context of really humanizing him. Uh, the cane with the wolf head is pretty interesting. Yeah, remember in episode two, Road to Nowhere, when David voiceover says, the wolves are at our heels. And yes. now we have this wolf imagery again, connected to Division Three, connected to Clark specifically. Well, and the red, he's got a red suit and a wolf, and he's like both Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf. Yeah, absolutely. Coming for them. Exactly. I mean, his suit, we should say, it is red. It's a different kind of red from the red that is always a flag of the devil with the yellow yes. eyes red. Like it's a very and different burgund- red than 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 Sid wears. Yes, it's a very burgundy yes. red. And I don't like he has a recognizable color code mm-hmm. as many characters in this show do. Absolutely. Um, and there's really something too. He puts that suit up when he's going back to work in like it's his uniform. Yeah, it's not just. And we mentioned this back in Happy Jack. It's not just his work clothes. It's not just like I put on a shirt and tie when I'm teaching. But uh, he puts on a monochrome color code that is the same color as he always wears. And he returns to his role and he returns to his identity. And after we've seen him not wearing burgundy at all throughout the humanization section, Mm -hmm. he comes back to being an agent of Division 3 wearing his Division 3 uniform yeah did you notice the computers in the office they're like straight up modern computers with flat yeah, screens well, and, and when you're talking about like uh, when is this you always <laughs> want to talk about when's the show set and the modern computers are one thing the fact that he uh talks to his hr about his husband yes that's also, is also like you're right that's a marker in time that's a marker in that time. is not happening in the 70s you're right that he can just be like this is my husband yeah, that's a good call. I mean, it could be an alternate husband, history, but... I suppose. He did and that call is... him his husband. I know, I mean, yeah. like, he could call him his husband without being legally married, like yes. he can now. Oh, yeah. But in the 70s, you can change history in your show, but in a realistic 70s, he doesn't talk about his husband with Endo when raises an eyebrow. Yeah. That's another marker of time. Well, that, what it, that's what felt was interesting about this sequence is it felt so modern, yeah, with the with the two men and the, and the black child and the modern computers and everything about it felt and the kind of modern hospital mm-hmm. scenes were very different from our usual very seventies clockworks hospital. Yeah, definitely, it's the aesthetic of his whole section is way more contemporary than anything else we've seen in this show so far. Yeah. Yeah. 
even like I noticed they were watching TV and they had a remote control, but then he also had like an old school alarm clock next to his bed. So it still is the mix of, I don't know. I noticed these things. I know that it's not set in a specific time or whatever, but it's I'm always... It's not just that it's not set yeah, in a specific time. Yeah, it's not time. just that. And maybe we'll talk about this in our season wrap up episode. It's deliberately set in not a time. Yes. Yeah. All right, so David and Sid in the Woods. Yeah. He says he still has mm-hmm. schizophrenia and that he shouldn't be convinced that he doesn't. Is that what he says, basically? Is it? I mean, it's, what he says is this: the worst thing about schizophrenia is believing you don't have it. He doesn't say that he has it, but he does say that it is a part of the disease that believing you don't have it is dangerous. Yes. Um, and she, like, he starts to say this and she interrupts him, like, you don't have it. And he's like, no, let me finish. The scary, the worst thing about schizophrenia is believing you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I'm not, again, I'm not sure about what to make of this section in some ways, because in some ways it feels like we're backing up his character. Like he, in episode six, in, uh, no, in episode seven, in The Monster Appears, He's very much like, I'm not sick anymore. Yeah. And then now he comes back to, yeah, but what if I am? I think there's some real realism to that. Yeah. Uh, You don't just one day wake up and get over your trauma. Yes. And there is, like, the nature of mental illness, especially of the nature of delusion, is that, of course, you would be second-guessing the reality, even once you've decided that it's the reality... I mean, that's one of the things about delusion, right? Yeah. Um, but he doesn't exactly say that he thinks he's schizophrenic. What he says that's is, true. it's dangerous to, it's dangerous for me to trust in that I'm not schizophrenic. And he also says, it has to be not about me. And I feel like the subtext of that is, even if this is a delusion, if it's not about me, I'm okay with that. If it's about me finding my own health and find, going in introspective, doing things for my own sake, like what she says is you have to save yourself, and he says it has to not be about me. And I feel like what he's saying is that uh, he's comfortable with it, with giving in to this delusion if it is a delusion, as long as it's not all about him. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, I that little in exchange she says i don't care if you save the world or save me you have to save yourself i just want to say that she calls him babe and i hate it babe, babe. <laughs> i hate it but that's just me because i hate it when anyone ever calls anyone babe it's the worst <laughs> what's your problem babe <laughs> oh it's just like Ah, oh, I hate it. <laughs> anyway. And then she's it goes to the quiet room without David. Yeah, that is like a creepy image of like the body under bed sheets on the bed. And we don't know what it is, except of course we know except what it we, is. Yeah, exactly. Of course we know what it is, but, but it's she just doesn't. Like, yeah, it's creepy. And there's something, even before we know what's under there, like... The fact that she's in the quiet room without David, apparently without David knowing that she's there. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is something we've talked about all along. 
this is something we've talked about all along about Sid, that like she is psychically intertwined with David. And here at the beginning of this episode, we really see that. Like yeah. we see, I think, as straightforward and clear a confirmation of that as we ever have, that she's in his astral plane room without him. Yeah. But well, and I mean, and there's a crack in the, as we saw in the end of the last episode, the punch of the, of Lenny punching her way out of this box. There's a crack in it. And I think that crack is getting to Sid. Yeah. Instead of getting to David. I mean, and. and yeah, that'll be like, we'll talk about that more as we get to we, that. We by the end of the episode, we know that that's true. Yeah. But at this point already. Yeah. We can take that knowledge from the last episode in. And she hears. When she comes back to the woods, she hears the children's laughter again. Yeah. And the dog again. The dog again. And the dog feels to me like it's king, possibly. We've heard this children's laughter again and again and again. And I'm still not convinced that the children's laughter is the Shadow King. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't think it is either. It's something else. Because we, we heard it. Carrie heard it at Summerland when David wasn't there. Yeah. So is it like, is it even connected to David? I don't know. Is it, is it a completely different mutant that's at Summerland that we're going to meet next season? Or something like my, maybe my guess at this moment is that it is, it is still connected to David, but it's not the Shadow King. It's a third thing. Either, um, aspect of David like of his superpower legion multiplicity Mm -hmm. or another parasite or something that isn't the Shadow King that one I think is less yeah it's less bad storytelling I feel like if if that's the case but I feel like it's not the I I feel like that those children's factor is not the Shadow King it's a third thing yeah whether it's in David's head or not it's something else so Clark sits in an interrogation room with a female Carrie doing laps around him. In another room, the the team discusses what to do with him. Carrie's male Carrie's focus is on David getting rid of the Shadow King before he erases David completely. Carrie enters the interrogation room to bring a glass of water to Clark. He wants to merge with Carrie, but she is still very mad. Carrie is distraught and leaves. Meanwhile, Melanie asks Oliver out to dinner. Oliver hesitates and says she reminds him of someone, but when Melanie says, your wife, he doesn't see it. She goes to interrogate Clark, and he threatens her, but she doesn't respond to that well. She threatens him with David, calling him a world breaker. In the yard, David floats over a group of stumps, and in his mind... Lenny is punching to be free of the mind coffin. He's approached by Clark, Melody, and female Carrie, and responds to them serenely, war is over if you want it. Later, they all sit together. David tells Clark not to be afraid over and over, while Carrie is working on his halo. Clark insists that he's not afraid, but later admits that he is, calling them gods. Sid is in the white room again, and Le- Lenny emerges from the bed sheets, taunting Sid. She tells Sid that she isn't leaving without killing him, 
unless she decides to leave on, on her own. David wants to meet with Division 3, but then passes out. To everyone's horror, Sid reveals the truth to Clark and asks him if he wants to help. So to start, near the beginning of this section, when Carrie enters the interrogation room with a glass of water, that glass of water is so portentous, like we get focus on it, we're all paying attention to it, we put it down, and even after we put it down, we like get focus and zoom on the glass of water, but nothing ever comes of it. There's no... And Carrie doesn't want uh, them to touch hands. Yeah. She gets mad, like, female Carrie gets mad at him for trying to hand him, directly hand him the glass. She's like, put it on the table. But I was going to say, I mean, that seems like it's, you know, she has uh, tactical thinking that yeah. male Carrie doesn't. But I was going to say about the way that that glass of water is filmed is just what I was talking about back in Happy Jack about the Twin Peaks-ness, or not in Happy Jack. It's just what I was talking about in our very first intro episode about how this show is like Twin Peaks in that it puts, you know, this big emphasis on the significance of this object that then is not significant, doesn't seem to have any real significance. That's the kind of surrealism that we saw. We have seen a different kind of surrealism a lot of the time since then. This is the kind of surrealism that we saw uh, early where there's this thing. It's really important. Why? Huh? You decide why it's important. Yeah. I feel like that's Twin Peaks style surrealism coming back. Did you notice that this this interrogation room is the opposite of the other one? That it has a white table? And red. And red chairs. I, and I noticed that it had a white table and red chairs, but I did not notice that that was the opposite of the other one. The one that he was interrogating in, and now it's a white table that he's being interrogated on. That's that was an neat. interesting flip. Also about Melanie talking to Oliver and asking about dinner and is so pathetic. Yeah. yeah. She's so desperate, desperate and like trying not to show that she's desperate, but very And Oliver's all of her vo- Oliver's all of her vulnerabilities. Yes. Every single one of them. She's so tough in everything. And then when it comes to Oliver, suddenly she is like this pathetic, like clingy girl. Yeah. It's heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And he is, again, as we've seen him before, he's oblivious to that. I mean, he possibly he recognizes that she's desperate. Yeah. But he, you know, doesn't know who she is. That moment of like, your wife? Do I remind you of your wife at all? Yeah. Like, memory or not, he could have put some pieces together there, but no, not that. Yeah, and it seems like he's not putting those pieces together. Like, he's still really spacey. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. He was 20 years on his own. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be spacey, too. (laughs) Um, So they each have a theory of what to do with Clark. mm -hmm. Because, like, Carrie and Patonomy want violence. Patonomy really wants violence. Melanie is all about running, which yep. is kind of surprising to me. Yeah. But she's just like, protect, 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 run. She references like, activate, I can't remember what she calls yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't write it down. Yeah, I didn't write it down though. Ghost protocol or ghost, something. Yeah. It wasn't ghost protocol, but... No. Something like that. 
And David just wants to talk to him. Oh, she, Melanie wants to run, but she also wants David to read his mind. Yeah. But she doesn't. I know. And that's, the idea of reading his mind gets interrupted by Carrie checking out the halo. But mm-hmm. that, I really wonder why that isn't a good idea. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, frankly, I'm a little disappointed in you, Patonomy, for wanting to just kill everyone. But <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, I think that running isn't a smart idea and isn't feasible and killing him isn't a smart idea and isn't moral and talking to him is a better idea. But we've seen before in uh, when they didn't read uh, Dr. Poole's memories, when Potomomy didn't read Dr. Poole's memories and it turned out that he was Walter and it would have been a good idea. Yep. And we have again, you can read his mind. Yeah, if, you can know that Division Three is watching this entire time through his eye. If... Mind reading is invasively immoral. We have not made that argument on this show yet. Mm. I mean, like, Sid kind of did for a second. There's an argument to be made, but we haven't really made it in very, very... Strong terms. Strong terms at all on this show. Also, isn't Oliver also a mind reader? Yeah, so why can't Why can't he he go in there? He's just, like, a weird non, like... They just don't know what to do with him yet, I guess. They being Summerland? Or they, they being, being Summerland. The no, they, they being Summerland. Yeah. He's helping... Yeah, we haven't yeah. got there yet, but... No, we have. Yeah, he's helping Carrie. He's helping Carrie build the machine and sort it out. Like, he doesn't just have mind powers. He's... Yeah, he's technical. Technical. He has knowledge of how all that works. Mm-hmm. In the interrogation room, <clears throat> I mentioned about the white table. I forgot to say, uh, if this is a, a mirror of the first episode then Carrie is Walter. Ooh, that's interesting. Pacing around and being just the other person in the room. She's not interviewing him, but she's just there. Yep. And that... She's the muscle. She's Especially the, interesting given Carrie and Walter's relationship. Yep. Back in Mind Clockworks. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. So speaking of that interrogation, uh, when it's the real interrogation, when Melanie comes in and talks to Clark... Um, first of all, Clark knows all about Melanie because of course he does. Of course he does. I also, Jean Smart, I'm again loving her delivery on, you know, your husband Oliver is missing for 20 years, presumed dead, and her delivery on, he'll turn up. Yeah. Is like, on one hand, she's got a lot in there because on one hand it's this like, haha, I know something you don't know, but on the other hand it's, there is real pathos still in her delivery of it, but Mm. like, he is still missing. He'll turn up eventually. And that's a great line and also a great delivery of that line. Mm -hmm. Just a quick little moment, but I love it. Yeah, me too. Um, And then they talk about threats back and forth. Uh, I agree with Melanie. Like, can we skip the threats portion of the evening, please? Yes. Um, Then she starts talking about the dinosaurs used to rule the earth. This is a speech that could have come out of Magneto's mouth. That's exactly what I thought. Right? She is, suddenly Melanie is seeming, like, what is Melanie's goal? Is she like Magneto? Is her goal to have the end of humans? Is she about mutant superiority? I don't know. And I read, I didn't actually read the interview, but I read a reference to an interview with Noah Hawley, which take that with a whole lot of salt. Uh, But I read a reference to an interview with Noah Hawley that said, saying that Melanie doesn't have any powers. Mm. So she's like, she worships. Or like, you, you know, somehow. like if she's saying humans are 
their time is over, they're the dinosaurs, but she is a human herself. It is for it. She says, better learn to fly like a bird because the age of dinosaurs is over. Well, this is Melanie Bird. Yeah. Who's learned to fly <laughs> like a bird. Exactly. I mean, good point, drawing attention to that. And then I just like putting a villain speech in her mouth. We talked about making uh, Clark a supervillain at the beginning of the episode. And now here she's saying the lines of supervillain. Uh, is Melanie villainous? We can see, again, starting with humanizing Clark, we can really see where, from his perspective, she is villainous. Yeah. She, they've scarred him, killed a bunch of people, and, you know, his reaction when she says, dinosaurs used to rule the earth, and he says, that a th- are you threatening the entire human race at this moment? She doesn't yeah. say no. And, again, in terms of acting in this scene, I like his delivery on that, which is like... I'm terrified, but I'm playing it as cool as I can. Like, yeah, I think he plays that very nicely. Yeah. Uh, not, like, dropping the threats and the bravado and being, like, trying to maintain a little bit of that bravado, but not quite pulling it off. Or yeah. threatening the entire human race at this moment. Kinda. Kinda. <laughs> right? I mean, what does that mean for her character? And what does that mean for the moral, pers- the moral perspective of the show? And, like... Well, we've seen her from as a villain from the, like, not as a villain, but we've been questioning Melanie from the start. Yeah. Like, what is her goal? What is her motivation? What's her she claims, game? yeah, she claims, she calls David a world breaker. Does she want to break the world? Or does she want to prevent him from breaking the world? She wants to use him and says. heal him, as she says. Yeah. And we've noticed way back from the second episode, from Road to Nowhere, that David is in uh, just as much in a prison here as he was in yep. Clockwork. She's still manipulating him. She's still trying to use him. We now know that it was the Shadow King saying this, but that doesn't actually mean we can dismiss it as untrue when Lenny says that bitch's secrets have secrets. Yep, exactly. And we have not seen her secrets as secrets yet. We've seen something, but not all. And this yep. is a reminder that Melanie... There's more to Melanie than we have seen yet. Yep. Um, and throughout this episode, I mean, throughout this show, I feel like one of the things that's accomplished by the humanizing of Clark at the beginning of the episode is whose side are we on? Because we assume that we're on David's side. He's our protagonist. He's the character that we're emotionally connected to. But one of the things that is always interesting about X-Men um, that makes X-Men really philosophically uh, rich is that we empathize with the mutants. We think of ourselves as being with the mutants, but we're not mutants. We're the humans. Yep. Right? Uh, it's easy to make a show where you have, make a story about persecution where you have the audience gets to identify with the good unpersecuted people. And this is the thing that gets criticized rightly all the time about like, you know, the white savior movies where the good white people who protect the poor, yeah. uh, disenfranchised weak black people and save them from their themselves and their lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, X-Men, the mutants, we can empathize with them, but we're not them. No, we're humans. So X-Men inherently makes us 
associate in some way with the persecutors instead of the persecuted. And I think uh, that's one of the real strengths of X-Men in general, and I think this show is doing that on purpose here. Mm -hmm. Um, We start off this episode, Clark. And here in this moment when Clark says, you're going to destroy the entire human race, are we on Melanie's side or are we on Clark's side? I think we're deliberately, this show is putting us off balance. It really is, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and just uh, Melanie says, better learn to fly like a bird. And then we cut immediately to David flying. Yes, that's a really cool. I like just that image of him like floating there, cross legged above the little like circle stumps, more circles, is really cool. Yeah, and visually bizarre. it's a great yeah. shot. So, uh, his halo, as Lenny is like punching its way out of the stump, is glowing with a red glow. He's yes. coming from under that halo. That's the, that red, uh, Lenny is in charge glow and we hear, that he's trying to repress. But, yeah. We hear as that's happening whispers in his head. And some of them are whispers that we, the audience, have heard before on this show. Like, they're sound clips of from previous episodes. Yeah. And some of them are new. Yeah. Uh, to us anyway. Are they new to David? I'm not sure. Like is he have it's a mix of him remembering things, but is he again hearing things that are people in other people's minds or in his yeah. own or in Lenny's mind? Interesting we we see a lot of him in this episode really he has learned to control his telekinetic power. Mm-hmm. But we still don't know, like, he isn't doing a lot of mind, active mind reading ever. No. We have never seen him do active mind reading. We've seen him get into Sid's head and make her imagine things with him. Mm-hmm. But there isn't, like, this tradition, that none of that traditional looking at you and what you're saying is in my head. Yeah, he's done that very a little bit often. with Melanie. Yeah. But not really elsewhere. And he hasn't really done, I mean, he hasn't done any strategic mind reading that Melanie wants him to do in this episode. Yeah. And the fact that Melanie wants him to do it uh, is drawing our attention to the fact that he doesn't do it, right? Yes, absolutely. It's not just that the show has forgotten that he could do that. Yeah. And they're reminding us that they know he can do that, but he's not doing it. Yeah. That's interesting. Um. I love War is Over If You Want It. I know, and Dan Stevens' delivery of that line is so... <laughs> Perfect. It's a beautiful delivery. <laughs> so, so, th- like, threat in the war is over. If you want it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good. It's beautiful. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and then we go to the other interrogation room. Like, I don't really know what. This is, like, I feel like this is saying, showing that it's less of an interrogation now. It's like a. It's like the cafeteria. They're just, like, hanging out, except that they're not. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's lessening the threat and the power differential. I mean, he's still their prisoner, but they're taking him out of captivity. Yeah. And telling him not not to be afraid over and over and over. Why does he do that? That is the scariest thing he could do, (laughs) right? And we should, I mean, we should wonder, Clark responds to that by becoming afraid. Yeah. Is that his goal? Is David trying to scare him as he says, you don't have to be afraid? Because he scares me, you don't have to be afraid. You don't 
have to be afraid. Okay, okay, mister. Like, uh, I'm not sure what David's aiming for here mm. by telling him he doesn't have to be afraid. Like, it could be a, it's a standard therapy trope of, like, bringing you to the point of acknowledging your feelings. So he yeah. says you don't have to be afraid until uh, he's until Clark is willing to acknowledge how he feels and David is aware that he feels that way. And this is a sign of David mind reading that we don't get very often, but David knows that Clark's afraid because he can read his mind. It's interesting that put David in the therapist's shoes. I didn't even think of that. He's in the shoes of the therapist saying, don't be afraid. I didn't even think of that. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, In that room, I think we've seen this room before, but again, the way it's shot, the windows are being circles, Mm. more circles in the background of this room. Um, And once again, when Clark calls them gods, what I said a second ago about like, whose side are we on? Are we with Clark? Are we afraid? Should we be afraid to? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't, I mean, like Clark has been a villain, but I don't want anything bad, more bad to happen to him by this point in the episode, you know? Yeah, it's true. I empathize with him. Yeah. And then, oh, we get back in the white room and Aubrey Plaza. Yes. So, okay. Number of things to say about this. <laughs> You're so excited. First, just like, this is more gushing than analysis, right? But yeah. like, the way that she throws off the thing and is lying there, like, so good. But it's also, like, gray and mangled and, like, messed up in the face. And she came from, like, the visualization of the place that she was was a coffin. And now she looks like a rotting zombie. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe that's so obvious it doesn't even need saying. But she's come yeah. out of a coffin and she looks like a dead body. Yeah. Um, And to, again... Uh, in this episode, we've talked about it over the last several episodes, but uh, makeup. Uh, we should have talked about it when we talked about Clark. His makeup is great. Yes. Oh. So good. Better than the makeup they put on Two Face in Batman uh, The Dark Knight. Yeah. I think. That's a whole different thing, though. It's a whole not. different thing, but I think that that was too much. Yeah. And this is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well done. But then, also, Aubrey Plaza's makeup in this scene is like, oh, so good. She just looks disgusting. Yeah, she looks she really so does. gross and rotting and, like, terrible. And once again, Aubrey Plaza, kudos to her and her, like, precise control of her body. Because she does these motions, these new Lenny motions, that this is still this you know, Lenny Shadow King character, but this is a rotting Lenny Shadow King, and she makes these little gestures and motions with her head that are new. Yeah. And they're kind of like when she was, like, the Beetlejuicy character, but they're a little bit more... Oh, just, it's amazing. She, yeah. And once again, though, her delivery is, like, vaudeville. Yeah. like, I love, again line deliveries i love her delivery of why because david put a hat on yeah like so yeah good as a line and as a delivery and she yeah can't say enough good things she looks terrible Mm -hmm. it's great i love 
the sticky, muddy footprints as she walks along oh, the white room yes. that like fade away, but are like Whoa. they're like an oil slick. Yeah. They're not just, just mud. They're like oil. Yeah, they're gross. Yeah, and they're very, very effective um, visually. Yeah, and there, though there's, I mean, there may be some uh, symbolism to the fact that her impact on David's mind uh, fades away. Mm-hmm. She makes these footprints, but they don't last. They don't last. Um, and here we have confirmation of the thing that we said at the beginning of the episode. Yes, she is in Sid's head, de- independently of being in David's head. Yeah. She has a psychic connection with Sid because they shared bodies. Once again, uh, this show with actually answering things, yes, giving us, absolutely. you know, it's surreal and confusing, but there are answers and we get them. Yep. And then we move forward, right? So we wondered what is the nature of Sid's relationship to the Shadow King, and here's the answer. Yep. Because they shared bodies, she is connected to the Shadow King uh, independently of being in David's head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... I like the, the, in this conversation, we have, you know, Sid being like, we're going to burn you out. You're just like a tumor. And uh, Lenny saying the line about how you ever make soup and then you try to unmake soup, but they can't be separated unless she decides to leave him. Yeah. She decides on her own. This is one of these questions that always uh, in this kind of situation is the shadow ki- is Lenny telling the truth? Sid just accepts that that's true. Yeah. Oliver and Carrie are pretty sure that they can get the Shadow King out of David. Yeah. The show kind of acts as if Sid knows something that they don't know, but all Sid knows is what Lenny told her, and Lenny is not exactly a uh, reliable source and is also not exactly a... Uh, Disinterested source. Yes. She has a reason to want Sid to think a particular thing. Yeah. I do love the soup conversation. Mm -hmm. So why does Sid reveal the truth to Clark? Because what she says, I mean, her uh, stated reason, I kind of think is the true reason, which is uh, trust. Yeah. Right? She like, wants to show it? that she trusts him. Yeah, she wants to show that she trusts him. What does David say earlier? By you know, I forget exactly what prompts it, but Melanie says, you know, they did stuff to you, we've stuff to them, we do it back, we can't trust them because they didn't trust us. Yeah. And David says, by that logic, war never ends. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I think this is exactly what Sid is. Also, yeah. uh, representing if something, if this conflict between Division Three and Summerland is going to end ever, yeah, it needs to end with trust. And Patonomy is suggesting a way of making it end by killing them all. And <laughs> that this is a couple of scenes ago, and it says, you know, grow up. Yeah. Um. I think, like, I agree with her. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's correct. That is a, 
an immature and childish perspective on things. And David is aware and Sid here is aware that like you shoot them all and they come and shoot you and you shoot like that yeah, doesn't actually doesn't mean, assault, even assault apart people. from the moral implications of killing everyone, practically that doesn't solve it. Mm-hmm. So why does she tell him? Because trust. Yeah. Um, does he literally have division three, like in his eye? Like, is it a thing I, inside it? Like, you know? Yeah. I assume that that's not an eye. That's not a glass eye. It's a remote camera. Okay. And are they dumb for not knowing that? Or do they maybe know it on some level? I don't think they know. I don't think they're dumb for not knowing. I didn't know. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have, that. until the show showed me it, I didn't suspect that his eye was a camera. Yeah, well, that, that Division 3 would be watching this thing in. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, he doesn't, Clark tells them that Division 3 knows where he is and they're on their way. And so yeah. They don't true. maybe know that Division 3 is hearing this exact conversation and maybe they should guess that Division 3 is hearing this conversation. They should know and do know that Division 3 is on their way and Division 3 is still coming and Division 3 knows where they are. And yeah. like, um, I just thought of, like, Clark has people in his head, too. Huh. Good point. They're, yeah. They just, ha- they just happen to be real. Shadow King's real. It's true, Shadow King is real. And David is hearing real voices, but... Yeah, so this is Clark with... That's great. Yeah. Clark also has voices in his head. Clark also has voices that he's hearing in his head. In the mechanical way, not in the mutant way. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Mm -hmm. Thanks. (laughs) Um. So in the lab, uh, David gets strapped down and hooked up to machines by Oliver. Clark watches on a screen. Division 3 wants to launch the Peacemaker, but don't yet. David wakes and is upset, but Oliver tells him to use his power and activates a force field around him. When we pull, you push. Carrie says they're going to suck out the Shadow King via brainwaves. David seizes, and in his mind, we see all the past episodes with the devil with the yellow eyes disappearing from his memories. Meanwhile, Oliver is fixing the generator on a ladder, or I assume it's a generator. David sees his baby self, and Lenny appears, looking gray and damaged, saying she's not leaving, and chokes David. In the lab, Sid enters the room along with Carrie, leaving Clark alone, who tells Division 3 to send the Equinox. Sid enters the force field, Carrie behind her, and kisses David. Sid's eyes glow yellow, and she touches Carrie, who then punches male Carrie. Patonomy enters, guns blazing, and wrestles with Carrie, who takes him down. Carrie uses her finger to shoot Melanie, and Melanie collapses. Meanwhile, Oliver climbs the ladder and pulls wires out of a wall. Clark tries to hit Carrie, but she throws him down the hallway. David appears, and they face off, Carrie's eyes glowing yellow. Oliver seems to suddenly remember who Melanie is as he boosts the power. David and Carrie run at each other and then are thrown apart, 
as they do a cloud of black smoke heads the closet where Oliver has just opened it. The red light above it turns off and he emerges, confident, and heads outside singing to himself. He gets into a car and drives off. Meanwhile, back in Summerland, David awakes and goes to Carrie, then Clark. He tells Clark they need to work together and Clark agrees. In the lab, David wakes Melanie, Sid, and Patonomy. Carrie and Carrie remerge. Carrie is confused about where the Shadow King has gone, and Melanie asks, Where's Oliver? We see him driving down the road. The window rolls down, and Lenny appears beside him, hand out the window. He asks where they should look, and Lenny says, Someplace warm. We cut to credits. So, First, just in the uh, visual imagery, the David lying on his back, there's a big blue circle on the ceiling, and the red light makes a square. So we have a circle in a square, exactly mm. as we had on David's shirt way yes. back in the day. No. Uh, he's a, back in the day, way back in previous episodes, yep. he's a square peg in a round hole, uh, or any other way we might want to read that circle and square imagery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or a square inside a circle, I guess. The circle's bigger. And we go backwards. We go backwards uh, through his memory, and they, you know, use literally the montage from Happy Jack and uh, mm-hmm. play it backwards. And there's an element to that that's... We go backwards through David's memory, and we're also back, going backwards through our memory, because we remember seeing this. Yes. We remember watching this episode and seeing it forwards, and we're seeing... Something we remember happened backwards and changing exactly mm-hmm. as David is. Like it's our yeah. memory too. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty great. And I love the visual of the long spidery fingers coming up behind David's head and grabbing his face. Yeah. Like that's super creepy. <laughs> super creepy and super effective. Yeah. Again, Lenny's makeup. Uh, Lenny looks terrible. You may be worse than she did in the last yeah, scene. Definitely worse. Uh, and she's seeing how, yeah. And she can barely even talk. She's croaking. Yeah. And she, like, she can't talk. She's croaking. Uh, is that because she is disintegrating or because, like, it seems like David has, is the one in control. Mm-hmm. Especially, I love the moment when he's, you know, looking somewhere else and behind his back the devil with yellow eyes appears and the jazz music and he's just like no <laughs> yeah we're done with that we're done with that Lenny come out and he seems to have complete control he talks to her as if he's confident he talks to her as if he's the one with power until she starts choking him and like the way that she her facial expression and the way that she acts is like he has paralyzed her so is it that she is rotting because she's dead like is it or is it that he is stopping her from moving and acting because he's exercising his power against her well and the i think the actual brainwave thing is working that it's right. pulling their brainwaves apart and so bunny or shadow king's brainwaves are are being pulled out so you can't do as much mm-hmm. but then fights back David, I like David talking to Lenny about, like, he seems so calm. A great moment, I think, when he's, mm-hmm. like, Lenny and David kind of talking, and David's not scared of Lenny anymore. And yeah. soon, 
like find out maybe should be, but it's like, hmm. Yeah. What's going to happen when you leave? It'll be like missing a limb. Yeah. He doesn't really know what's going to happen, but he's ready for it to happen, I think, even if it's going to be missing at this giant chunk of him. And there's a real, I mean, there's a pathos there that even though Lenny is evil mm-hmm. and manipulative and whatever, like, he's not going to feel like himself without her. Yeah, exactly. Without the Shadow King, he's not going to feel like himself, and he might feel better, but he won't feel the same. And yeah. there's, I like that expression of, like, melancholy about even about getting rid of something that's possessing you. Yes. But, like, I knew where I stood, and what's it going to be like? I don't know. I don't think that he is, he's maybe a little wistful, but I don't think he wants, I don't think he hesitates to get rid of her. Yeah. But he is like, who am I going to be now? And that's also like a philosophical question that goes back to Lenny talking about them being soup, right? Who actually is he Mm -hmm. without her? Yeah. If she's been with him since he was a baby, we kind of see... The stars appeared when he was 11, but we see that she was with him from the time he was a baby. Yeah, his because his mutation right. started at puberty, because that's yeah. standard when mutation starts. But she, but I just, we might have speculated that the double DLOIs didn't come to him until that time, too. Yeah. But we now know, definitely, she was with him all along. Yeah. And then when she grabs him by the throat, the light shifts red. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we should maybe say actually before that, as David's standing there watching the montage, I also really like the visuals of him like watching TV screens all around him. I think that's yeah, yeah, interesting way of doing that. It's a different way of experiencing memories from what we've seen when we were in had autonomy using his memory powers. Yes, yeah, um, and he's wearing. The shirt he has been wearing in this episode is the one with the circle and it's got a yellow triangle in it. Yeah. And here in this mindscape, he's wearing that same shirt, but the yellow triangle is black instead. Yes. And I mean, we talked about a few episodes ago when that when that yellow triangle first appears, it's when the devil with the yellow eyes was like fully in charge the first right. time that shirt appeared. So this is really the dis- disappearing of that. Uh, that was an interesting it, visual there. The devil with yellow eyes is gone, then his yellow triangle is a black triangle again because he's all the same now. Instead of having something inside him that it doesn't fit, is a different shape and color from what's on the outside. Yeah. Um, but it's a false flag because she's he's not as in control as he believes himself to be in that moment. Yeah. So Sid comes and kisses him. Mm-hmm. So then I tried to almost chart this out and I still can't quite wrap my head around it. Is it just the Shadow King that's moving between people? Because Sid kisses David, therefore... David is in David Sid's is in body. Sid, and Sid is in David's body. body. Yeah. Then she touches Carrie, so Carrie is in Sid's body... And Sid and, and the Shadow King are both in Carrie's in body. Carrie's body. So the Shadow King is driving Sid, who is possessing Carrie's body. That's what I think. So at the end, at that moment when we have the two of them fighting each other, it is Sid in David's body versus 
Carrie in Lenny in Carrie's body. Lenny in Carrie's body. Right? But who's in David's body? Sid. When she touched but him. But who's in Sid's body? Carrie. <laughs> but who's in Carrie's body? Lenny! <laughs> but where is Sid? So amazing. No, but where is David? Where's David? David is in Lenny's David is in Carrie's body, but he's not in control. Maybe? Maybe. But uh, Sid and the Devil with the Idle Eyes both know that the body switchiness is eventually going to snap back, and when it does, the Shadow King will still be in whatever body he was at the end. Why? Because he wants to be. Because right. Because he agreed, that he, he would agreed that he would Okay, okay. Right? I think what we've seen in the past is the Shadow King could go back to David again when everything switches back, but his Lenny, his, her... Lenny's agreement with Sid is such that the Shadow King has said, I've decided that I'll leave David. And so when everything snaps back, I'm not going to snap back to David. And that's something the Shadow King can do if he decides to. Right. Okay. Okay. That's my take on it. Though they have this whole fight and everything. And then when everyone wakes up, we're not following the rules that we've established. That's what I was going to say. Their bodies are not where their minds used to be. Yeah. That's why I was confused about who is who, because they don't do that thing that Sid always does, which is her bo- her body changes places with that. And I don't know whether that's... Is that just a mistake? Or is that I like... I wonder if it was a calculated choice that like, it's just going to be more confusing to yes. have everybody's bodies not be where their bodies. Let's just wave our hands a little bit about that. That's what I suspect. I suspect that they were as like... If, as if this show isn't confusing. <laughs> as if the show worries about confusing us. That's true. That's why we have this whole podcast about making it, figuring it out. That's a good point. My, my suspicion is that that's a moment where they decided that for the clarity of the storytelling, they were going to hand wave the metaphysics of what they'd already established. Yeah, okay. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. That's what I think. Maybe fair enough, but maybe not. When they come together, Carrie and David, there's like the same like light and stuff as when he drew the chalk drawings of Professor X and the Shadow King of like, this is how you fight each other. Right. Yeah. Just so his chalk drawings were accurate. Were accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk, I mean, let's back up a little bit. Uh, Sid's plan here doesn't seem to work out. Right? When she wakes up, she says, did we win? He says, does it look like we won? Yeah. Uh, so she, that did we win, says that she's hoping that her actions will get Lenny out of David, but they'll still win. Mm-hmm. So do you think that Sid's plan is a good plan that went wrong or just a bad plan? I don't even understand what the end game of her plan was. What was, she just wanted to get... Use her power to get the Shadow King out. Yeah, I think so. And then whatever happened then just happened. I think yeah. it was a bad plan. I think it was a bad plan. I'm with you. But it, it, someone needed to do something. Yeah, do you think she's right? that? I mean, she's convinced that if she doesn't do something, Lenny was telling the truth. She's going to kill David. Yeah, from what we see, she's going to kill David. Yeah. That's what's happening in that moment, is that she is choking David, and there doesn't seem to be a solution. And her running in saves, is, David's, sa- life. saves David's life. Yeah. 
but it doesn't seem like she has much of an end game in mind. And no. Hey, look, things don't turn out well. No. I mean, they turn out well, maybe for David, arguably, um, in the short term anyway. In the short term, yeah. Um, and then when she goes running in, uh, Melanie is in her way and Melanie gets out of her way. Get out of the way. And she does. Is Melanie on board mm. with, like, does Melanie know what Sid is going to do and is she on board with it? Hmm. If Melanie hadn't have gotten out of the way, she could have just touched her and taken her place. Yeah. So I think but then Melanie she wouldn't knows. have been able to, well, maybe she would. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. I don't know. I suppose. And why, if you were, I mean, I have questions. I have many questions. If you're the Shadow King, why do you switch and get Carrie's body? Because Carrie's yes, strong. Carrie is physically strong, but the Shadow King was using David's body because it was using David's powers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, seems like I, of all the people there, I don't know that Carrie is the your. I think Carrie's an exit plan. Yeah, Carrie is Sid is not strong. Right. Sid just has this power of touching, and so if she immediately Sid touches, can't fight her way. Sid can't fight her way out. So if she immediately touches Carrie, Carrie is strong. Carrie can fight her way out of this place, and then she could find anyone, which she does. Right. And her end game might be, um, the Shadow King's end game might even be Oliver all along, because that's the smartest person to go into if you're wanting some serious power. And speaking of people's plans. So what was Carrie's plan? Like Carrie sees this thing going down and she runs out of the interrogation room to what? Uh, punch Sid? Like what does she think is going to happen that isn't exactly what happens? I don't know. But maybe it's a thing we've seen about Carrie all along. She's so impulsive. She like goes headfirst into violent solutions and it basically never works out for her. Yeah. Not basically. It never works out for her. Uh, so maybe this is just another example of her character trait of like let me go in and punch some stuff and yeah. wait maybe you should learn to think a little bit before you do that mm-hmm. speaking of jumping in with violence Patonomy yeah, what is he doing is all about the violence and like Patonomy in this episode is really like shoot first ask questions later he's like yeah. guns blazing jumping like, in again speaking of Summerland people without a plan is his plan here, like, is he going to kill Carrie? He's shooting at her. Yeah. Is that in his mind, like, acceptable losses? I guess it's war. We'll have, we've seen from him before, I suppose. We have. Yeah, from, like, the early episodes, he was very much like, we're at war here. There's losses. More, more important than some guy named David and his sister. Yeah. And, like, it's more important than Carrie. He's going to shoot her dead right there. Like, I guess that's what he's doing, but... If that's an acceptable loss, the question, the necessary question is, what isn't an acceptable loss? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. He just comes in guns blazing. He's going to shoot Carrie, Sid, Melanie. Mm -hmm. Like, who is he not willing to kill? That is, yeah, troubling. Yeah. Then Carrie points at Melanie with her finger, Mm -hmm. like finger gun, and Melanie falls over. I, firstly, I'd like another very effective moment that is great and it's exactly like what uh or it's very reminiscent of what lenny does when she's in the mind clockworks and she cocks her head and carrie and sid both cock their heads too uh carrie is acting like lenny Mm -hmm. uh 
because she should. Um, and then as she walks away after shooting Melanie, do you notice there's a red shadow oh. of her? A little bit like, I mean, much less dramatic, but a little bit like the three Lennies when in her little oh, dance her little scene. Dance. Oh, interesting. I did not notice that. That's cool. Yeah. And then we get Oliver suddenly remembering Melanie. Yeah. Oh, Melanie. Does he does he remember that he had a wife or is he just like suddenly remembering someone named Melanie? It's unclear. I feel like the it's... way that I mean, it is ambiguous, but I feel like the way that it's that delivered and shot is like is that he is really remembering. Yeah. There's real pathos to he's just gotten himself back and he loses himself yeah, again. Immediately. It's sad for him and it's sad for Melanie. Yeah. I feel like course. at that moment he's like Melanie, he is remembering. He's really she remembering is. her. Yeah, leave up your age. And then they give Jermaine a chance to sing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I love love Jermaine Clement, and I love that he gets to sing. <laughs> he gets into a car that's left hand driver. Yeah, so what's a, up with that? It's a like a British car. Maybe New Zealand because he's. Uh, presumably is, Oliver is from New Zealand because he has Jermaine's accent. That is true. And anyway, they, drive, they drive on the left in New Zealand. Yes. So he gets into this left-hand drive car, but he's driving on the right. Like, it's in North America, filmed in Canada, takes place in the U.S., I assume. And uh, but he drives this left-hand drive car, and then who's in the actual driver's seat is Lenny. That's brilliant reveal the arm out the window before you actually see yeah it. in terms of how that Direction, is shot oh, beautiful so good agreed and in i like i really like that for a an american audience lenny is in the driver's seat yeah exactly That's a great point yeah um in terms of the yeah the car and the location like just to point out the car is a President, which is mm-hmm. a Japanese car. They yeah. drive on the left in Japan also. Mm, yep. uh, so maybe that's why it's left-hand drive, actually. Yeah. But the license plate number looks like Britain or New Zealand. Yeah, it's not an yeah. American license plate. And then he's driving on the right side of the road, so that the car is like it's a, a New Zealand license plate on a Japanese car being driven in America. Yeah. Uh, by a guy with 70s aesthetic <laughs> in a 60s world with uh, 2000s technology, 2010 technology, and just this our placement in both space and time continues to be very uncertain. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then we have Oliver and Lenny, and the la- the end of this episode is. Oliver asking where they should look. Yes. Remember back in The Monster Appears, Lenny was looking for something. Yeah, where is it? Where is it? Where did he put it? Where did he put it? So they're looking for that. Yeah. And the he, we assume, is Professor X. Yeah. So where we did assume he put it? And that's what, where Oliver and Lenny are going on their mm-hmm. crazy evil road trip to find... What Lenny couldn't find back 
what Lenny expected to find in David's mind. So it's not yeah. something physical. Yeah. It seems like. It's like. That. Where it could be anywhere. If it's something psychic, where are we going to look for it? It could be anywhere in the world. And she was frantic yeah. for it. In... Yeah, I don't think it's where they're going to look for something. They want, so, they want to go someplace warm to then look. Oh, okay. That's why she doesn't care where they go. She doesn't care where they physically go. Let's right. go someplace warm, and then we'll look in the astral plane. That makes a lot more sense than what I was thinking, that, like, we will search in somewhere warm for it. But no, you're right. No, because it doesn't matter where he's their been bodies stuck go. At, he's been stuck in an ice cube for 20 years. Right. He wants to go someplace warm. But she's the one who says someplace warm. <laughs> so they're soup. <laughs> yeah, now they're soup. And she's a girl in a summer dress. Yep. Without a bra? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> didn't 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 pay attention closely enough. <laughs> no, we'll have to rewatch it. <laughs> Rather not. Um Yeah. And there's our there's our episode. Yeah. So let's talk uh we kind of talked about clothing throughout. Yeah. We um, but let's talk music a little bit. Yeah. First in the opening scene, where Clark is recovering, the music is it's a mix of original music by Jeff Rousseau, but mostly it's uh, mostly it's a passacaglia in C minor by Bach. Um, it's a pretty well-known Bach piece. It's written for organ, usually performed by organ, but performed here on the harpsichord. We talked about how that opening scene seems contemporary, seems modern. But the music is Baroque music. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure exactly what to make of all of that, except to point that stuff out. The harpsichord makes it seem very restrained, way more than it would on the organ. Like, it's con very controlled, very calm, very uh, precise mm. as David, as Clark is experiencing this very emotional moments, but it makes it all seem, it makes the pacing seem even more controlled and slow than it would with different music. Like we're taking our time and the music reflects that. Um, in When David is in his own brain seeing a montage of his memories, three Pink Floyd songs play, each leading into the next. They are Speak to Me, Breathe, and On the Run. They appear in that same order on Dark Side of the Moon. And if you know Dark Side of the Moon, it's the songs lead right into each other. It's, you mm -hmm. know, a, an album that you play all at once. Um, so those three songs lead straight into each other, both on Dark Side of the Moon and also here in uh, Legion. The first and last, Speak to Me and On the Run, are instrumentals. Mm -hmm. They're sound collages. Speak to Me has some spoken words on the album. I don't hear them in the show. Uh, but they're still worth knowing because the spoken words that go over it are, I've been mad for fucking years, absolutely years. I've been on the edge for yonks. Uh, I've been working with bands so long. And also, I've always been mad. I know I've always been mad, like most of us are. Very hard to explain why you're mad, even if you're not mad. Hmm. So we don't hear those lines, but if you know that that's the music has those words associated with it as David is looking at the fact that he has been mad for years. Yes. Um, we hear only a short fragment of Speak to Me, not as long as it really is, and then we get to Breathe. Of the three little songs that we hear, like if you listened to that section and you thought there was only one song, 
you would think it was uh, Breeze, like mm. it's the one that yeah. seems like a song, not a sound collage or an instrument. It's like okay. a traditional song with lyrics and a singer. Um, and the words go, breathe, breathe in the air. Don't be afraid to care. Leave, but don't leave me. Look around, choose your own ground. For long you live and high you fly and smiles you'll give and tears you'll cry and all your you touch and all you see is all your life will ever be. So as Lenny is leaving, uh, the words say, leave, but don't leave me. Hmm. Um, and as David is seeing the Shadow King disappearing from his memories, we have all you touch and all you see is all you'll ever be. Hmm. Is all your life will ever be. So there's a like sense of what we say, what we said a second ago of the wistfulness of leaving the Shadow King is here in the song, really here in the song. Yeah. And the idea of you can't get rid of it is here in the song. And the idea of um, nothing can change. What you see is what's always going to be hmm. is here in the song too. And then we get On the Run, which is another instrumental, and it's about uh, travel and death, apparently. Uh, and again, like that's appropriate for what we are seeing here. Mm. We're seeing travel and death. We're seeing the remove of Lenny from this world. I think it's all very appropriate. And we can't look past this is Pink Floyd this is the first appearance of Pink Floyd on this in this show in the soundtrack but uh, Jeff Russo's music throughout has been Pink Floydish mm, yeah. uh, and the a lot about the show has been Pink Floydish even Sid Sid's name on the show is Sid Barrett Sid Barrett is a founding member of Pink Floyd huh. so She's named after a, uh, Sid Barrett is a founding member of Pink Floyd who left because of mental illness. Mm. Uh, so Pink Floyd has been all over this show. Yeah. And here in the last episode, we actually hear them for the first time. Right. As Oliver is leaving with the Shadow King with Lenny in his head and Jermaine sings, uh, the song he sings is If I Ruled the World uh, by Leslie Bricuse and Cyril Ornandel. It's best known as performed by T Tony Bennett, mm, but there are yes. many other performers. Yeah. It's a, one of these standard songs. Yeah. Um, and the words that we hear, If I Ruled the World, every day would be the first day of spring. Every heart would have a new song to sing. And we'd sing of the joy every morning could bring. There's obviously a lot of irony mm -hmm. to, wouldn't it be wonderful and great if I ruled the world, I'm going to be, make the world great. And we know that the I is not Oliver, it's nope. the Shadow King, uh, yep. who really does want to rule the world. And it's not going to make things great. And it's not going to sure. make things great. I think throughout this entire episode, the idea, I mean, this is why we named the episode after this song, the idea of if I ruled the world goes throughout the whole episode yeah. because that's what's behind uh, Melanie's talking about the dinosaurs used to rule the earth, but you better learn to fly like a bird. Melanie wants to rule the world. She wants mutants to rule the world. Yeah. It's behind Clark and division three and their entire uh, raison d'etre 
They're making the world safe for democracy, he says earlier. Like, they exist to control and rule the world. We have way at the beginning of uh, the episode, all the blank-faced commandos. Like, this is the idea of the government, the uh, impersonal government ruling the world and controlling things. And they come in and they have no faces because they're wearing masks. And what David does when he casts them all away is make them a great big tower. Like, he takes them their individuality and uh, squishes them all together even mm-hmm. more. It's like you're an undifferentiated mass of yes. government operatives. Be a literal undifferentiated mass. And that's also connected to this idea of who wants to rule the world and who has the power to and what would happen if they did. Uh, Everyone in this episode wants to rule the world. Yep. Um, And then finally, the end credit song, uh, Children of the Revolution. Mm. Uh, You might, it's by T-Rex. If you didn't know it from T-Rex, you might know it from Moulin Rouge. That is where uh, many people in our uh, generation were introduced to that song. Yeah. Um, the words all the way through, I could go through them, but the important part is the chorus, you won't fool the children of the revolution. And it's about children. It's about making a new world. It's about not being fooled. Yeah. Uh, it's about, you know, all these things that are very appropriate for this episode We've just seen a bunch of people be fooled, and we've just seen a bunch of people trying to recreate the world, and we end with, you won't fool uh, the children of the revolution. And the, I mean, the children of the revolution is an appropriate kind of, I don't know that it has ever been a euphemism for mutants, but it's an appropriate euphemism for mutants. Yeah, absolutely. They often get, mutants often get called the children of the atom, and here they're the children of the revolution. I think that fits very well. And that's, I think, uh, the episode. Wait, 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 wait. What? There's a mid-credits scene! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there's a mid-credits scene! Of course, we're not going to not talk about the vitally important mid-credits scene. It's the first time we've gotten that. Yes, Um, okay, so go. So, in the mid-credits scene, we have David standing on a balcony with Sid, saying that they've gone south. And then this little sphere appears. It scans David and teleports him inside where he screams for help. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so theories on the sphere. Here, okay. my, I, it, it could be so many things. I started naming theories and suddenly <laughs> there was 27 theories. But okay. If the sphere is sent by Division 3, mm-hmm. Division 3 says send the peacemaker, send the equinox. So it's one of those. In Marvel Comics, Equinox is a Marvel, Marvel villain. Oh. I kind of doubt this is a reference to him, but Equinox is a Marvel villain. Peacemaker is not interesting. a Marvel character at all. Or, if it's not Division 3, it could be... Uh, Sid says, oh, it's something of Car- is it something of Carrie's? Or David says, is it something of Carrie's? And uh, so it could be. Yeah. This could literally be Carrie trying to control, continue to control David. Melanie trying to continue to control David. We know Melanie wants to control David. Yeah. Or this is somehow Oliver and the Shadow King. That seems, seems pretty unlikely. Yeah. Or it's someone completely new. Right. 
this is a completely new villain coming in. And that's, I mean, I think the it being Melanie is possible, but I think the most likely are that this is Division this 3 is Division or three. this is someone completely new. Yeah. I'm leaning a little more towards it being Division 3, but I'm kind of hoping that it's someone new. Mm. I would prefer it to be someone new, but I think more likely that it's Division 3, but we will have to wait till season 2. Yes. To I want to mention out. David's shirt in the scene, too. He's wearing a shirt with two red triangles with green inside. Okay. And so it feels like it's like a duality on his shirt. And we haven't seen two triangles ever before. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It's more of this kind of legion thing of like right. is there more splits is there more we've seen this red and green we've seen thing. the idea of the inside isn't the outside but here we see two things next to each other yeah exactly they're mirroring each other yeah yeah that's a different idea we didn't so talk we about clothing because we wanted to save it for now yeah so way in the background behind Sid and David someone in red just walks away and I don't know if that's a production error, like it's actually not supposed to be there, but there's this little figure, and, mm. and honestly, they're wearing Sid's coat Really? They're wearing like that red coat that Sid wears and just kind of walks away in the background. And so if I'm going on wild theories for this mid credit <laughs> scene, could it be a time travel Sid Right. Somehow. We know time travel's a thing. We know time travel's a thing. Or is it just someone else? Is this someone else connected to the sphere that's there? Did they send it somehow? Or is it unconnected completely? I mean, we've seen... We didn't talk about... Amy doesn't appear in this episode, except that she does in the background a couple of times. Like, deep background. But Amy will, like, walk by... So, a couple of times talking to Patonomy, who also barely appears in this episode. Yeah. So they were off doing something else in the background. And that could just be... <laughs> that could always be, like, uh, Katie Asselton was on the set, or they had an extra in her clothes to remind us that she exists. Or it could be a very subtle, like, in the next episode, we're going to see what they were doing during this episode yeah. kind of thing. Like, it could be... I, I don't think... I don't think it would be bad or they'd be missing out on anything if they were just people walking around in the background because they're also there. But I don't deny the possibility that what they were doing could could be something that we eventually learn. Who knows? So, there's... That's the real end of the episode right there. That's the real end. (laughs) Um, Thank you very much for joining us. We will uh, be back Next week, with a season wrap-up, we'll talk about some things that throughout the entire season, first season of Legion. If you have thoughts you'd like us to address, questions, comments, things that you want us to talk about in the season wrap-up episode, you can contact us by email at clockworkscast at gmail.com. You can talk to us on Twitter at clockworkscast. We won't record the wrap-up episode until after this episode has aired, so you still have time to share your thoughts, questions, comments about the season as a whole. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy our podcast, please do uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, It really helps other people be able to find us, and that means more people listen, and that means that 
more people like us, and then it's all a great big circle of happiness. Um, circles. Circles, more circles. <laughs> you also, if you really like us, uh, we'd be very grateful. You can uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever you want to, and we'll use that to make this podcast better and other podcasts in the future as well. So I have been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's it for us. Goodbye. <laughs>